0: Hello and welcome back to Scottish Independence Podcast.
1: This is part three of the series that we've been doing on the Indie Strategy debate. We started off looking at the Indie Strategy that came out of the SNP conference. Part two, we were talking to some SNP members about what their feelings and, and thoughts were from it. And now we're going to be talking to people who are in other indie supporting parties.
0: We have Colin Fox from the Scottish Socialist Party, Julie McAnulty from the Independence for Scotland Party, ISP, and we have Dave Thompson, who is a member of ALPA, but tonight he's talking to us on behalf of Christians for Independence. Before we speak to our guests, we have two short clips, one of Patrick Harvey from the Greens conference describing his response to the SNP strategy, and the other, Alex Hammond. the ALPA conference, also describing his thoughts on the
2: strategy. We share a common hunger for Scotland to be able to chart its own future, but ours is a different vision of independence to that of the SNPs. More radical, more decentralized, more eager to use the levers that independence gives us to achieve that greener and fairer Scotland. And so much of what's happened since 2014 has made this more urgent. Brexit, right-wing populism, the lurch of Labour to the right, ditching its principles at breakneck speed. All of this amplifies the urgency of being able to to choose our own path forward. But I do share the frustration uh, that uh, too much time has been spent on discussing the, the how of independence, the questions of process, when we should be talking about why. Because here and now, our Parliament is already under threat. Time and again, over the last year, the Tories have laid waste to the idea of the Union uh, as a partnership of equals, blocking long awaited gender reform, destroying recycling ambitions, and cheerleading from the, the Scotland office in the shape of Alistair Jack as he tramples over devolution with all of the finesse of a toddler on a sugar rush. <laughs> I'll up a stand for Scottish independence. Every vote for ALIPA at each and every election is a vote for independence. And if a majority of votes is cast in any election in that direction, then the Scottish government is mandated to negotiate independence. If Westminster says no, then we should mobilize domestic and international opinion to force them to respect the democratic wishes of the sovereign Scottish people.
1: We're going to kick off the first section. Just asking our guests for their thoughts on the, what the SNP came up with.
0: And the first speaker will be Colin Fox, followed by Julie McInnalty and Dave Thompson.
3: Well, I, I welcome that. I mean, I think there's a great deal of thought has got to get into. We've got some fairly profound challenges in front of us. You know, how we're going to get independence how we're going to get a majority for independence, how we're going to overcome the obstacles that are put in our way. So whatever contributions to that debate that are offered, then I think we're all duty-bound to listen, to hear, to learn, swap ideas. I didn't find it particularly persuasive, but not unwelcome because of that. The more people are thinking about this, the more likely we're going to come up with some solutions. So it's another one of these, process discussions but the process yeah. well it's not the be all and end all I still think the most important question is how we're going to get a majority but once we get that majority then this process of how we're going to secure independence is, is a extremely important debate and you don't often get many brownie points for leaving considerations like that way down the track you've got to have them in the forefront of your mind all the time so I'm interested in it I'm obviously I'm a partisan and as much as the Scottish Socialist Party's been in favor of independence now for 25 years which means we've not had it yet so we're as impatient as anybody else so yeah I, I think those discussions that to be honest with you Marlene and Fiona they've been few and far between actually it's really just
4: more of the same. It's an endless Groundhog Day and it's like they're almost afraid to even mention the word independence. We're just going round and round in circles. We're going up against Section 30, coming back. or oh, They won't allow us to do this, they won't allow us to do that. Of course Westminster aren't going to allow us to do anything. We have to do things that are disallowed by them. This is actually the only credible way forward um, to mm. be honest with you. They need to stop with um, Section 30 and, and stuff like that. They're never going to offer us another referendum, especially given that um, we're running at
5: 50%, at least publicly in the polls, it's probably more. I'm very interested in, in keeping an eye on where the SNP are. The SNP are still by far the biggest and most important um, parliamentary force for independence and I hope the SNP do well. When you look at what they've proposed for the route to independence, our reaction in CFI is very much that it's awfully wide and open to interpretation. And there are all sorts of avenues that can be opened.
3: What is the answer to the problem? They want a second referendum in Westminster have told us you're not going to get it, so how are we going to get it? And, And I think we should be clear, If we're heading for a Labour government next year, Labour are as unionist as the Tories. Labour are as opposed to Scottish independence as anybody else in these isles. And I I can say I was a member of the Labour Party for the first 10 years of my political life, when I was a novice, when I was an adolescent, when I didn't know any better. We have to make Westminster an offer they can't refuse. We need to have majority support and we say... We have the majority, we speak in the behalf of the majority, and what follows is that we're entitled to mobilise that majority both through Parliament and through extra-parliamentary activities. I say that because I was also one of the veterans of the anti-poll tax campaign. The greatest civil disobedience in recent years resulted in a success.
5: Now what CFI are proposing isn't that we hold any de facto referendums. We are proposing that every single UK Scottish general election is a vote for independence, not a referendum, but a vote for independence, because there will be other things in the manifestos. And the the, the parties that win will also be arguing on the other issues. And if they're clever, independence will be top and centre, and everything else will be this could be much better under independence. Yeah. I think, to be fair to the SNP, the, the policy of using a majority of seats has got a certain logic to it because that's the way the UK works. And, and in some ways, it's maybe got a bit of cleverness to it in, in the sense that it allows the SNP, when they get their majority of seats, to say, well, look, we, we've stood on the normal basis the, the, the Westminster Parliaments are the, the gold standard for democracy across the whole world, aren't they? You know. Therefore, if we comply with their gold standard, how can they in all conscience ignore us? Now, we know they will ignore. There's a certain <laughs> logic in pushing that because you, you challenge them. But let's say Starmer gets 44% of the vote, but a huge landslide... Then he's got it on a minority vote and he's won yeah. on seats. So you can use that yeah. to put pressure yeah. on them. Yeah. I don't think it would work, but again, it adds a bit of grist yeah. uh, to it the does. mill.
0: Topic two was how do we build support for independence?
3: The cost of living crisis that issue pertains to what kind of country do you want to live in? It's about change. And running through the sort of independence debate, like that Stock of Rock famously, you know, (laughs) Millport running through the middle of the Stock of Rock is the question that we, all of us in the independence movement have got to address, which is, is independence about change or is it not? Mm -hmm. And how much change is it about? Because I think I would say to you, I've debated with people, for example, Mike Russell for the SNP. Uh, I remember a, a meeting in Grangemouth about, I don't know, a year ago, something like that. And Mike at that stage was arguing this was the start of the Indy Ref2 campaign. But his basic premise was, no, no, independence won't mean much change. We'll keep the queen, we'll keep the pound. And I was saying, Mike, that's the antithesis of what people want to hear. They want to hear independence is a bit profound change. It's going to change the hideous. Inequalities in Scotland that sees a third of our kids in Glasgow going to bed every night hungry. It's mm. about addressing the hideous housing problem. How do people under 50 get their own house now? I mean, the average house price in Edinburgh is soaring towards 350,000, 400,000. If you're earning 20000 £25,000 a year, how does that work? Where are you going to get a mortgage for 15 or 20 times your salary? floundering around in the rental, the private rental market, paying a fortune for a squalid tenement flat. So there's these profound questions, and independence either changes that or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, we never win. Political parties are needed, but uh, they're necessary, but
4: they're not sufficient. Really, what we need is a proper people's movement on this now. And I think um, the way forward is probably through the likes of Salvo, which is going to say so that that is very much what you're pushing.
0: Is there not also a step where
4: you're going to have to show that you know okay the people are
0: sovereign but you still have to know that it's the majority of the people that agree with you so is there not a point during that process where you have to have something that's a
4: referendum or some kind of vote? We don't require a uh, 10,000 um, signatures for the start okay we just need to Register ourselves um, as a sort of liberty group with with the um, UN and proceed and proceed from there, and put forward, put forward our case.
5: The policy that we've adopted within CFI just this week, our preferred route to independence, basically, sets out six points. The first point is that we are not going to get another referendum. The the UK establishment has set its face against that. Now, in politics, nothing's impossible. It's also very, very clear that after the Supreme Court judgment of about a year ago, that the Scottish Parliament doesn't have the power itself under current UK law without a Section 30 order to hold a referendum. There is a a way through that, of course, and uh, the Scottish Parliament could dissolve and run a Scottish election at any time, but that's not going to happen. Well, the only legitimate democratic means of getting Scottish independence is to use the current democracy of the UK. UK general elections and Scottish general elections and the criteria for winning them is winning the greatest number of seats but you have to go into them with a very very clear mandate political parties put independence at the top of their manifesto at the next UK general election which will be held probably sometime next year or the the following Scottish election or the following UK election, or the following Scottish election. And we have that as the top thing until we get our independence. We also believe that we need a majority of votes. We don't think a majority of seats would be sufficient. I think we have to win a majority of votes. Now, that's all the votes for all the parties that put independence as their number one item in their manifesto that would be acceptable i'm quite sure internationally and i would hope in such an election we wouldn't just get 50 plus plus one i think the focus on indy would take us up to 55 or 60 percent and put the whole thing absolutely beyond doubt but i
3: support the idea of a single referendum a single question answer it straight let us, you know, be a black and white choice, not wrapping it up in a general election, which is wrapped in Trident and cost of living crisis and Gaza and Ukraine and climate change mm-hmm. and this it. single question of profound implications. And you take the decision that was right. I supported that in 2014 when we had it. This is we've got to get a majority that supports it, and if we get a majority, it unlocks the key to every other obstacle that's put in our way. The SNP need to up the ante.
4: I, I think they need to come out of Westminster. I think they need to remove their MPs because we are just, as we see it, participating in their own gaslighting under the illusion that what we actually have to contribute there uh, means anything, does anything for Scotland. It doesn't. And it's just perpetuating the myth that um, we actually have any say in what's happening up here in Scotland. What's happened with Grangemouth, if anyone was in any doubt who's in control, um, has illustrated that absolutely perfectly. We are sitting in the middle of an oil-producing country, being told by someone who owns a refinery and not the state what we're going to do about um, the most crucial part of our economy. I mean, I, I would expect a ruling party at the moment, which the SNP is, to be calling Jim Ratcliffe's bluff and saying, OK, we'll buy you out, and if we can't buy you out, we're going to build another refinery, and see how, you, see how you like that.
5: Now, the way that you achieve that is if you can get unity of all the political parties that are going to stand. And the yes movement, the wider yes movement, everybody who wants independence. So if everybody united behind that policy, put it in their manifestos, and everyone campaigned together on that basis, then I'm pretty sure we would win and move towards independence.
3: In a sense, it's not important whether it's 50 or 40. You're quite right. We need 60%. We need 60% because we don't want a result that says, well, best of three. You won the Mm -hmm. first one, Larley. We won the second one, Larley. No, it needs to be a decisive. That question and that issue reduces itself to, so how do we persuade the majority of people that independence is going to make them better off economically, politically, socially, and culturally? That's always been the question that we faced. And in my view, it's always been the question we've failed And I respond to that as my grandmother and grandfather, you roll up your sleeves and you do the job better the next time. If the case isn't persuasive, then you work to make it more persuasive. And you don't think you can somehow wheedle 45% or become 60 by some dialectical extrapolation that Lenin might have referred to, whatever. We need to get a majority. And my feeling is it's there. It's possible to get a majority. We need to present a better case than we've done so far. People don't believe in our economic case. They just think that, oh, you're just going to have the same inequalities in Edinburgh. You're going to have the same rich, rich so-and-sos that have big power in finance capital, who treat people at their work miserably, the same powers that we'll be in charge. Mm-hmm. And unless we get rid of it, unless that's what independence is about, then I'm not buying into it. In other words, mm-hmm. there has to be a profound shift in the way Scotland's, wealth is currently distributed as well as created and it has to mean that those who get insufficient share just now are catered for. So to give you one example, during Covid and right after Covid, the Scottish Socialist Party's principal campaign was for a national care service in Scotland because we'd seen brokenheartedly so many people of our senior citizens had died in care homes they didn't have the attention, the care that they deserved. Those care homes were exposed, in my view, as being utterly inadequate, not just for a pandemic, but for the life that they were supposed to provide people. And so the call for a national care service, which had widespread support, not just for the Scottish Socialist Party, but is predicated on the idea that it was genuinely a comparator to the National Health Service and that it was going to be free at the point of need paid for out of general taxation and its standards of care provided that were befitting of the 21st century. And the debate somehow got paralysed and sidetracked. I mean, I heard Nicholas Sturgeon saying, we want a national care service like the National Health Service. Yes. I mean, he delved, delved into it. He was offering no such thing. No such thing. It would still cost you £110,000 a year for your care. So... That's wrapped up in independence. It's got to be a question of saying independence has got to be about a national care service, a national health service that's fit for the 21st century and holds to the prescription that an and Bevan laid out in 1947 that this would be publicly owned. Edinburgh's got two of our NHS hospitals that are privately owned. The Royal Infirmary is owned by a PFI. The Sick Kids is owned by a company from Australia. Public ownership is a big mainstay of why people support independence.
0: Question three: Would you support a constitutional convention?
4: I, I've mentioned Salvo a couple of times, Fiona. So I mean, ba- yeah. basically, what they what they're trying to do is they're trying to restore what what was called the Convention of the Estates, and so it, it's ba- basically the kind the kind of same idea. I, I get the feeling that the SNP are kind of desperate at the moment and they're just throwing out um different ideas to see what will stick and what will not, but there isn't there isn't really a plan with it. Salvo, Salvo has a very a very particular plan of um both stating sc- Scotland's con- constitutional rights, restoring them, and then that's that's basically our way around section thirty and all the rest of it, getting um international approval um to pursue Independence, or whatever we choose as a properly recognized nation state and mm. I, I think that's a far more positive thing and i would like to see other um, parties participating in that we ha- the thing about salvo is it is cross-party and there are people in it from the snp from alaba ourselves and others and um, that are pursuing this so it's a real it's it's a real cross-party initiative um and i think it's the one that has the best chance of success for us at
5: the moment really we set up a a constitutional convention or similar body, whatever you want to call it, but a body that would be set up basically to, to reaffirm the principle that the sovereignty of Scotland lies with the people. So this body would represent the people of Scotland, so it would include... Civic Scotland, it would include members of the public, the wider Yes movement, and the political parties. So you'd have a very broad-based convention, and that body would begin the work of moving towards, not independence itself, but initially, in laying the foundation for Scotland's right to choose, And the reason we've gone down that road on CFI is that it will allow bodies, hopefully, and people, hopefully, maybe even some parties, hopefully, to come on board who don't necessarily favor independence, but who favor democracy, the right of the Scottish people to choose their own future. That that line would allow us to in- hopefully involve a much wider group yeah, of people.
1: I can understand that. Well, it's a good thing to do, isn't it? To draw people in so that you can have that discussion. It might even draw in political parties that aren't pro-independence, but are pro-democracy. That I mean, in a way, that would in itself just be a refreshing outcome. Mm.
3: Yeah, it's a good idea. I mean, we've had the Scottish Independence Convention. We obviously had the Yes Movement and I think there's an appreciation that, you know, we, we're, we're stronger united, we're stronger together. The SNP can't do this in their own. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't suggest to you the Scottish Socialist Party can do it on its own, and that's probably widely understood and easily seen, but the same applies to the SNP. Yeah. The SNP can't do this in their own. They have mm-hmm. to reach out, and, and I would say, in all candor, they've not done sufficient reaching out. Since 2015, when they got all these MPs elected, I find sometimes their attitude towards the rest of us, or in the independence movement outside the SNP, rather dismissive, rather haughty. Well, you don't have representatives in Parliament, so your point of view is not worthwhile. And they have to sometimes be brought back down, you know, what they say, pride cometh before a fall. Mm. And I fear the SNP are going to lose half their seats in Scotland next year. I hope it leads to a, a regard that says, we know now we can't do it on our own um
4: basically what we will need to do um is restore as i say what's called the convention of, of the estates and that's what liberation.scot is doing which is part of salvo that restores a part that that would would be what what you're calling just now fiona probably the constitutional convention but it would involve um, um representatives from the people not but we're not talking particularly mps or, or stuff like that we're talking actually People they would have the powers um, under Scotland's constitutional rights um, to call something like a referendum or a plebiscite or something of that ilk, and it would be it would be legal and above board and all the rest of it. So that that's basically where we're going with this
0: the convention of the estates and a constitutional convention given that neither of them currently exist (laughs) might well end up being you know one forum potentially from what i took from listening to the discussion about the constitutional convention—it was—it was very much uh, including civic society and you know religious bodies and business mm-hmm. groups and you know representatives of the wider bunch. It certainly wasn't just politicians, and it certainly wasn't just elected politicians either. So, is there any common ground there? Do you think that could you see Scotland's the full range of the independence movement joining up on some kind of common approach?
4: I would certainly hope so. Uh, as I said Fiona, um there's people from different parties working in this and that's more than anything gives me hope. And again it is very people centered it's not about politicians trying to get seats. It, it's a whole way around the whole sort of political problem of political parties going give us give us seats and then we'll give you your freedom sort of thing and then it doesn't happen. And this is the people of Scotland turning around taking their sovereign rights and saying right this is what we want and you're going to, you're going to do it, basically.
5: You, you may be surprised at how quickly various uh, bodies like the unions and others would want to be involved and not miss out. You'd maybe get the CBI wanting to be involved, the Federation of Small Business. And there's a host of other organisations like that, that once they see that this thing's up and running and it's got momentum, they're going to want to be in there, and if they know they can join it without having to commit themselves to one side or the other, they may well be happy to do yeah. that.
1: It was Joanna Cherry who spoke for the motion the Scottish Constitutional Convention, but what mm-hmm. struck me about it was she, that she was proposing, and, you know, and it was accepted, that it was that convention that would be empowered to negotiate with Westminster. Obviously, it's not just SNP, people who will be in it. And she made a point of saying whatever MSPs, MPs want to be on it, can be on it, plus Civic Scotland, plus representatives of smaller indie parties who yeah, at the moment yeah. may may or may not have their own representatives actually in Holyrood. And I thought that's the step that needed to be taken.
3: Joanna's very wise woman. Let, let me give you a secret. I don't think I've mentioned this ever before. So here's an uh, Run up to 2014, discussions took place, I mean, I was on the advisory board, as you know, Nicola Sturgeon sat next to us, Patrick Harvey was there, Pat Cain, Elaine C. Smith, and I was approached in ahead of the referendum uh, by Alex Salmond's team, and they said, look, if we get a majority for independence, then there will need to be a group of us who negotiate what independence means, the assets and liabilities be shared out. That could be a process that could take a couple of years. How much of the London Underground belongs to Scotland? I mean, it was our money that built it as much as others. And it was clear that the Scottish Socialist Party, would we would be part of that negotiating team. And I think that was the right thing to do. Joanna's um, proposition today, the same theme. It's the same, let a thousand flowers bloom. We've all got to be part of this. We've all got to sell it. It's one thing to win the referendum. It's another to get an agreement with the negotiations that come out. Since your question was about Joanna's proposition, I'm entirely behind that. That has to be the approach that we all buy into independence. I've got profound differences with the SNP. I don't support the monarchy. I'm a socialist and not a capitalist. But if we are arguing for independence, we do so on the basis that we can all benefit from this. All the beneficiaries are entitled to be there at the negotiating table saying this is what we want, you know, so yeah. that's, that's important.
0: Question four What should the strategy for the next general election be?
1: The next election is going to be the general election, first past the post. The argument on the one side is well, that's how it's run, that's how Labour or, or the Tories are going to claim a victory in terms of mm. number of seats. We'd be silly to tie ourselves into a situation where we were looking for a majority of votes cast in Scotland. So, Mm. but but you were saying you thought, okay, yeah, it's got to be eventually, at least I presume you mean, is that it's got to be a majority of votes. I mean, that's really not going to happen in a general election Mm. first past the post, is it?
5: I don't know. I, I think it could well. If all of the independent supporting parties put a mandate for independence at the top of their manifestos, then you could very well get a majority of votes when they're all counted together, together because it yeah. wouldn't just be parties that won seats. Even if a party student didn't win seats, their vote would be counting towards a, an independence vote. Let's say the SNP win the majority of seats. We've had that plenty of times. In fact, we had 90 odd percent back in 2015 if they win a majority of seats, they have every right to push Scotland's case in Westminster and and they have every right to negotiate with uh, whoever the potential Prime Minister is.
4: Basically, our, our position on it is that people that are, are going down to Westminster, um, we are basically participating in our, our own gaslighting. It, it's creating the illusion that... Um, we actually have a say in what what is going on down there. So the idea is to bring our people back up from there and basically bring the playground back into Scotland and, and start from that point that we are not being properly represented. How we appear to the international community really matters as well Fiona because I mean they're also under the illusion that we participate um, in a democracy, and it's not the case. Um, whereas nobody was in any doubt with the likes of Northern Ireland and what was going on there, that there was a real problem. Not because Sinn Fein chose chose to abstain, so they knew that there was there was a real problem going on. We need to be going along. We need to be going along the same lines. We also need to stop the gravy train that's that's going on, because unfortunately, all the people that that go down there don't don't want to come back up.
0: That seems a very sweeping statement. A I minute. Mean, do you, what? What makes you think that? Or do you have any particular ones in mind that you think that's the case?
4: Well, look at look at look at the SNP. They had fifty six MPs down there in two thousand and fifteen. What did they do with them? What mm. What did they achieve? You know, ask ask yourselves that. And if you can have that number fifty six out of fifty nine, and make no. Um, you know, sort of inroads, then what actual use is it? Yeah, and,
0: and that, I mean, it? that may actually say more about the imbalance in Westminster as a whole, because even if they'd had 59 out of 59, still get outvoted. So, yeah that's know, it's, it's just an inherently unfairly
4: unfair system. It's, a, it's an inbuilt majority. I mean, mm. we're, we're meant to be in a union
3: of equals, but yeah. the, the other party has got 10 times more MPs than we do. The main issue next year's general election will be the cost of living crisis. It won't be independence. It won't yeah. be Ukraine. It won't be, you know, climate change even. It'll be the cost of living crisis. And therefore, if you're trying to jump on the basis of saying, make independence the issue that people will consider where they're going to place their vote, you've got an uphill struggle because that's not where their attention is. because It's the price of their rent, the price of petrol, yeah. the price of things they can no longer easily afford. So I'm sure that was the case in Motherwell last Thursday.
5: People for a while have been holding their noses and voting SNP because of independence. But the SNP had a chance in 2021, using a PR system to assist smaller independent supporting parties to win seats. But they, they refused and they pushed on with the both votes SNP policy. We formed AFI, SNP people and others, Uh, because we wanted to mark the yes. We wanted to put yes, independence, foremost. Unfortunately, I've got to say this, the SNP put the SNP foremost at the last Scottish election, because by pushing both votes SNP, they got a million votes and they got two seats. A quarter of that would have given... AFI or any other party, 20 plus seats, which would have got rid of 20 unionists out of the parliament, and the Tories and Labour and the Lib Dems wouldn't be nearly as strong as they are. But the SNP chose the both votes SNP route. Now, even more bizarrely, the Scottish Independence Convention agreed to write to the SNP before the council elections and the council elections as you know is an stv system where you rank the people you want to get in one two three four five six so it's even better and there's no danger to a part the biggest party in agreeing that people should vote till they book as it was put but what did the snp do maybe not everywhere, but in a lot of their council areas, they put out leaflets, and I saw them, saying, only vote for your SNP candidates. Yes. So vote 1-2 for the SNP. Do not vote for ISP or Green or Alaba in the council elections. Now, that is bizarrely strange. Mm -hmm. given that it was uh, an STV election. And I do not understand how any tactician could have seen that as a good way to move. So we've had two examples in recent years where the SNP have made a decision to put the SNP first. I hate saying that Mm. because I joined the SNP in 1965. I joined it to get independence for Scotland. I did not join it to create a political party that would want to stay in power at any cost for its own sake. I would hope maybe as things move on into next year and as we get closer to the general election that what the SNP might do is obviously continue with the policy they've approved at their conference but add a wee bit to it and say But we will also be willing to consider as allies of ours the votes for any party that puts independence as the top priority. To assist us in our argument and debate and discussion with Westminster, that it's not just SNP seats and votes, but it's the others as well. If the SNP even moved that short distance, that would be a huge step forward for them in terms of their own thinking.
1: You know, I think what you said about, you know, counting all the the votes together for for whatever spread of independence voting parties, they've all got got to count. The risk is that in a first-past-the-post election, even although X thousand people vote for ALBA and other you know, why 1,000 vote for Greens and everything, there are constituencies where the SNP have the run, have the current MP, but by a very slim majority over Labour. If those people vote um, for ALBA or Green or ISP, mm-hmm. great, but those votes don't count in a in a first pass mm-hmm. of course, and you end up with the SNP losing MPs at a point where if everyone had just voted <laughs> SNP, they, they, you know, they, they perhaps wouldn't lose mm-hmm. it. So it's just such a... It's this woman, this woman, first past the yeah. it just makes everything I,
5: so difficult. I think what you've just described is the dilemma that has faced a lot of people in the last or nine years that up until then, if you look back at the SNP and its policies and its conferences and the debates and everything else, there was a big effort in the SNP always to put forward policies that were good for Scotland, but that were broad enough to keep a very wide range of people together. And what you've seen in the last maybe six years in particular is a move away from that into adopting policies that are more divisive. And that has given people a real problem. It's the whist for indie thing, I suppose, you know. I think that's why you've seen other parties beginning to develop in the way you have, yeah. and of course the Unionist vote has been like that for a long time. Yeah. where you've had Labour, Tory, and Lib Dems, yeah. Yeah. whereas everybody basically ninety-nine percent backed the SNP.
0: If we go down the road of the the smaller parties are not big enough to realistically fight for a seat, but they are big enough to lose somebody else's seat you know mm-hmm. by taking votes from them yeah. so it's all different when it comes to Holyrood and you've got proportional representation but the other factor in the the general election coming up is you're not just asking those people to choose between maybe my vote for labor or lending my vote for indy you're also asking them to choose between do i want to lend my vote for indy or do i want to give the tories a kicking and get them out of yeah parliament yeah, and i yeah. think that might well be the one that wins in the general mm. election that we're just about to have different ball game entirely at Holyrood. so what, what's isp's thoughts on that general election are you intending to stand candidates even though they won't then if elected appear at westminster
4: yes uh-huh. we, we will be standing candidates because the the point of the abstention thing is that that we are making the point that the mm. it's are so useless and um, also to prevent other people from um, going down there and, and settling settling down as it were. So mm. yes, we, we want to put a permanent block in that road as well. So I mean our, our initial thoughts when we started were that we weren't going to run with Westminster at all, but unfortunately there's so much attention drawn to it that there has to be some kind of political response to it, so that that's what we intend to do. <laughs>
0: Question five, what would be the impact of Labour winning the general election?
3: I think support for independence is probably still about 45%, but support for the SNP is down about 10 or 12%. So the questioner is, how can support, support for the SNP be down 12 and support for independence have remained where it was? And I think you're forced to draw the conclusion that that probably means that a Big proportion of those people in Scotland who support independence are thinking of voting Labour. That's where the SNP support is gone. Unfortunately, yeah. not yet gone to the SSP. It's not gone to the Greens, as far as I can see. So the SNP yeah. support seems to be travelling over to the Labour Party. Are facing both ways at once? To try to ride the horse forwards and backwards simultaneously.
5: They might hold the balance of power. If Starmer uh, felt that he had to concede something to get power, then they might concede um, more powers for the parliament or they might concede another referendum, it's possible. Mm -hmm. More powers for the parliament, it's all very well, but it doesn't overcome the biggest problem for us and that is that the powers of the parliament can be whipped away. I I think what's happening
4: is that people are disengaging from political parties, but they're getting more involved in political movements. I find it interesting to look at what's happening just now and compare it uh, with what was happening in Ireland, maybe in the sort of late 1800s, where you had things like the Land League, for example, which was a huge movement about exactly what's happening in Scotland, about um, land and the ownership of land and what it was being used for, because it has is, is been squandered a lot. A, you know, in terms, and it's been used badly in terms of the environment and so on. Um, you've got issues like well, one of the things I mentioned earlier is Freeports. So we're yes. um, very much getting involved in that because that that is huge, huge implications. Um, both in terms of it, it's really effectively an, an annexation of land in Scotland and bringing it under completely different laws. It's absolutely mm. um, gobsmacking when, when you look at the. The potential effects of it i mean it's a very big issue for for where i'm from fiona because to come back to jim ratcliffe you know he bought up lots and lots of fracking licenses and they attempted to come and frack down area at cumbernault um at deer dykes and it was actually uh, the local council um, I was one, one of the council at the time that chased them off uh, also to give them their due Scottish water, who owned the land that they were drilling on. But effectively what uh, you know, Freeports are going to do is they're going to um, take away those powers from local government and uh, hand them yeah. to the Freeports
0: we can guess that it's going to be a Labour government in Westminster whenever they have the, the election, whether it's you know May, October or Christmas Day, whenever it is. Do you think that is going to make any difference to how we approach the independence question at all? Do you think there's any glimmer of hope with it being a Labour
4: government? I, I think the one thing that, that, that it might do, at least it will settle the question in everyone's mind of whether or not a Labour government's going to be better. I think it's worth bearing in mind as well. At least a third of the people in in the Labour movement actually support independence. And I think there could be increasing pressure, um, if not to to actively support independence, at least not actively oppose it. It's a very, very
3: fluid situation just now, Fiona. My take on it is that the principal support for Labour is an anti-Tory vote not pro-Starmer. It's not pro-Anna yes. or Jackie Bailey. It's people are sick to the back teeth of the cost of living crisis that they attribute to the Tories. They've been in for 14 years. Behaviour of Boris Johnson, Liz Truss as individuals. I mean, they, they, they represent what the Conservative Party is. They were the Prime Ministers. And the record was so disgraceful that they gave all politics a bad name. So I think the Tories are absolutely heading for a a doon, as we say in the west of Scotland, where I grew up next year. That's very much a mixed blessing because we're heading for the most right-wing Labour government in my lifetime.
1: I know these by-elections that have happened, seems that the SNP vote is staying at home. The Labour numbers in the votes, yeah, they're getting a much bigger percentage of the vote, but the actual numbers of votes being cast isn't shifting very much. And I mean, you have to give them credit because they've got their vote out and the SNP didn't get theirs out. But it looks like it's. I'm just staying at home. Not not going to do it. I mean, maybe that yeah. would be different if there's when there comes to an actual election than an actual um you know campaign that's going. But
3: I don't know. It's a good point. I mean, when you consider, brother, Glenn, there was a by-election in my hometown of Motherwell last Thursday, and what was uh, significant wasn't the result. Meaningless. There is what was significant is the turnout was just twenty percent. The turnout, I mean, the three of us went through the referendum where the interest in politics was sky high. We had 80% turnout in that referendum. What's happened is interest in politics has greatly diminished. And a a by-election in Muddle, a place like Muddle, as if Muddle hasn't got enough problems to get people up and at them about, yet only 20% of people vote in a council election. The turnout in uh, Rutherglen, again, was terrible. And it's a reflection of... Those people, often they're the poorest, they're the most divorced from politics, they don't follow particularly well. They know, you know, that they just feel as if they're getting constantly pressed upon, their standard of living is getting worse and worse. And they just walk away because they don't have any faith in any any of the political parties to do it. And I think that's that's principally what the SNP are suffering from. Not just that people have gone to Labour, a proportion of transferred to Labour a bigger proportion of our support have lost all faith in them, not turning out at all.
0: The the, the recent poll that's got us all jumping where we've got um, 54% for independence, which is wonderful, we don't have 54% of voters proposing to support independence supporting parties. So that must be made up of People who have said, yes, I'm going to vote Labour or less likely Tory, but who would also want independence. So in an election where it's based on what does your manifesto say about independence, if you're a Labour-supporting, indie-supporting person, what do you do? Because we have to get them to vote for a party they don't want to vote for in order to come under that mandate.
5: I think the only way to get them in is for the SNP to adopt an unequivocal um, statement about independence and the majority of votes, and for all the other indie supporting parties to do the same, and push that point really hard during the UK general election campaign and subsequent Scottish ones if necessary, so that Labour voters would know that if they want independence, they would have to vote for one of the indie parties, not necessarily the SNP, any of them. There might be others that were more amenable to them if they want independence. But they'd be doing it as a one-off to get over the independence line. And then they could revert to Labour once we are independent.
1: You know, if you're a Labour member, you know, or at least a Labour voter, it's always been the case. Whether you're prepared to put Your wish for independence top of your list. Mm. And you know, I mean basically if someone wants independence but they keep on voting Labour, well they're not putting it at top of their list.
0: Last question. What do we do now? What's our next steps?
3: But I'm optimistic that it's possible to get to sixty. It's not beyond us. It's not, you know, it's not flights of fancy or anything like this, you know. So that discussion we had about what might or might not be in a constitution, in the constitutional convention, married together with this sense that you can trust. trust in politics is a really, really important yeah. thing, you know? And so when you, you look at the question of land reform or the housing inequities in Scotland, there are so many the inequalities that are there. This isn't new. We've been saying we need land reform for 50, 60 years. The Crofters' unions were arguing for this in the 20s. <laughs> We've been talking about the need for, you know, affordable housing in Scotland for the last 40 years. So you then draw the conclusion. So. What's stopping it? Mm. What's the actual vested interests that are clearly powerful enough to say, nope, that's no happening? One of the obvious problems you've got in building a 100,000, used to be called council house, and now we refer to them as social housing, for rent that people can afford, that are proper quality is, those people living in a 400,000 pound house in Edinburgh are not going to be very happy if all of a sudden that reduces itself to 200,000 because there's so many tens of thousands of other cheaper houses on the market. Because we know fine well, there's where the resistance lies in part. People have to work out who can you trust to challenge and defeat the vested interests. What drives me as a socialist is, Need is more important than profit.
4: Well, at, well, at the moment, I mean, this, this is what Liberation.Scot is doing. It's 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 bringing people together that will form, a, as it were, a, a sort of Congress, if you like. That was what the Stirling Directive was about, where, um, where we handed over a statement instructing, saying that we, the sovereign people, were instructing our MPs and uh, MSPs and stuff to start preparing Scotland for independence, and if they weren't doing it, then... Uh, after a certain date, then we would take it into our own hands. What was that date? Uh, they've got until the 22nd of December. And then oh. after that, um, it's going to get interesting.
0: Oh, goodness, hadn't picked up on that at all. That sounds really interesting. Can
4: you tell us then, anyone? Anyway? I, I think I, th- I, I need to be careful what I'm saying just now.
0: Can I ask a bit about just what happened with Ash Regan or trying to get a bill in to hold a referendum on our right to have a referendum I think is my reading of it. Alex Salmond had said at, a, at the press conference that launched it that this had been his plan all along for if Cameron had refused the Section 30 back in 2014.
5: Taking such a bill into the Scottish Parliament forces all of the parties and all of the MSBs to put their views on the line when yeah. they vote and when they debate. It would force all the parties to be very clear whether they actually accepted the claim of right, whether they would would accept the right of the Scottish people to have a say, their own say, and their own future. So I would see it more as something to force the issue to bring it up full frontal. So it would be very, very inter- interesting to see how the vote would go on something Yeah, Yeah, it
0: would, but then say say it's overwhelmingly passed, where Mm. does that get us? It's not going to hold any weight in terms of Westminster agreeing that we can do that. I mean, perhaps it makes it harder for them to continue to refuse a referendum, perhaps.
5: Mm -hmm. What things like that do is it adds to the pressure, it raises the profile, it brings to the attention of the Scottish people something that the media can't ignore, it brings it out so people can see that a vote of the Scottish Parliament with 60% support, let's say, is ignored by London. And that adds grist to the mill for the cause of independence. It's good politics. See, politics isn't all about just winning a vote and doing something. Politics right. is about the the build-up. It's about profile. It's about getting out there and letting people know what you're about. and All of these things add pressure. You have a general election, Scottish or UK, and you win your 55% of the vote, and you go to the international community, you can show that the Scottish Parliament itself in 2024 voted in favour of the folk having the right to choose. So it's, it's another nail in the coffin of unionism, if you like. It's another weight on the scales. In, in your favour as you put it yourself Marlene you know yeah. so the whole essence of what we tried to do with our route to Indy and Christians for Indy is unity and pulling people together trying to help to get people to talk to each other Um. because that's, that's one of the basic essences of of being a Christian you know is uh, love the Lord obviously but love your, love your neighbours like yourselves and certainly folk that are have the same aim as you, to get together and work together and and stop the the nasty bickering and the criticism of each other and try and pull it together. I know that's very, very difficult in politics.
3: It's difficult for the independence movement because Labour's going to get in and people say, I'm voting Labour, to get rid of the Tories and therefore if Labour's not in favour of independence, well, that's just tough, etc. But I think this is a crisis Labour government virtually from day one here stammers economic policies and the, the state of the economy he'll do nothing about which mm-hmm. leads to big social convulsions his policy in ukraine is all over the place his policy in climate change is not to be trusted etc and i think what we may well see is the next year might be difficult for the independence movement the general election as i say that um, the polls would lead you to believe the snp may lose half their seats in scotland but that Labour government is in a crisis, and as you said, so many of the problems that we then see are real to us. Whether it's about Trident on the Clyde or land reform or reform of the council tax or the you know standard eleven et cetera, Labour will do nothing for working people in that. And so, mm-hmm. what's your choice that we have to, you know, expect the Tories to get back in? You no, know, in Scotland we've got the national question. That's the route for us. Yeah. So. What I'm saying is there's Lenin there, <laughs> a pamphlet called Two Steps Backward, One Step Forward. And that's yeah. what I look at. Two steps yeah. backward to a Labour government. It's a waste of time You get rid of the Tories, but their opponents of independence died in the will, unionists. But they're in crisis and working people in Scotland facing the crisis wouldn't be saying, well, what are we going to do? Wait till somebody else gets elected at Westminster? That's a non-event. What, well, we're going to wait in the Labour left? somebody like Corbyn or something. I mean, Keir Starmer has has essentially gutted the Labour Party of left-wingers. Diane Abbott's effectively expelled. Jeremy Corbyn's expelled. So the idea that you would wait for some kind of socialist Labour government is, I'm afraid, dead in the water. So what my conclusion is that I'm not so much pessimistic or optimistic, but I think the route to independence might be more difficult in the beginning and more profitable and more likely to get an echo later on 2025, 2026, when the Scottish Parliament elections, there's a platform that says, Hollywood, now we are confident we've got the majority of people in Scotland want independence. We've demonstrated it in 2026 by electing SSP MSPs, Green MSPs, Scottish Socialist Party MSPs, Alba, whoever. And then we say we're taking that democratic majority case to a Labour government and dare you to say that the democratic yeah. will of the Scottish people cannot be achieved if we want yeah, independence. Yeah. So it's a happy ending, at least <laughs> <it's a miserable laughs> beginning. That's the most optimistic view of
0: it we've had. That's brilliant. And big thanks to all our guests for joining us.
1: We've done those three programmes now, Fiona, and I have appreciated, well, first of all, getting my head around what the SNP came up with. I really appreciated hearing from those SNP, three SNP members we talked to because they're all very active within the SNP. And then this one now, well, in a way coming in from different
0: angles, I'm not sure that there's a huge difference, though. The the details, the differences. But even having heard from all of the SNP to really go into it in depth from, from a wide range of other people, I'm left thinking, Who knows what's going to happen? Because so much of it isn't within our control anyway. It depends when general elections are called. It depends how well Labour do. There's so many variables. But the one person whose comments left me feeling, oh, this is going to be all right, was Colin Fox right at the end. In fact, I think he was quoting Lenin, wasn't he? You might go a couple of steps backwards, but then you're going to move forward. And um, that I think it is something to to hold on to in all the uncertainty that although we don't really know exactly how it's going to pan out, we are still moving forward. And as yeah. we're recording this, support for Indies at 54%. So yeah. by no means is this game over.
1: Yeah, exactly. And we hope you've enjoyed the series.
0: And thanks for listening, everybody. We'll put the links to parts one and two of this little series in the notes. Don't forget, we'll be back again on Friday. Catch you later. Bye now.